welcome everyone to Andor, a Star Wars podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Galactic Core. My name is Matt, and joining me in the big round white room is Pete. Hello there, Pete. Rebels Unite. This is the Andor podcast by Fantastic Geek for Andor Episode 8, Narkina 5. Pete, lots of things going on around the Fantastic Geek HQ here, counting down to the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. In the last week, its release date was shared. When's that going to be? November 25th, Matt, Black Friday, strong strategy there. Everybody will be off, be able to watch that and how brilliant that trailer is and the setup uh, of going to kidnap Kevin Bacon and bring him back to Peter Quill. Can't wait. Uh, It, of course, the presumably penultimate Marvel offering from James Gunn, who in the last week was announced to be the co-head of the forthcoming, soon-to-be-rebranded DC Studios. And, you know, Pete, the internet wants a fight on that, but I think uh, James Gunn fans are happy, and DC fans are happy, and Marvel fans are happy, and Kevin Feige is happy, and I'm looking forward to great content coming out of DC. So there's not a fight here. This is great news for a good guy. I just wonder if taking him out of a director's chair full-time is his best possible destiny we're gonna find out we of course uh have black panther wakanda forever to look forward to as these days get closer and closer and as we look forward to the calendar turning to november and it's uh november uh 11th release there and really can't wait to see that movie that had its world premiere just in the last couple days as well So whether it's Black Panther, whether it's Guardians of the Galaxy, Matt, you can get ready for all of these. You can catch up or you can relive them through the Marvel movie podcast by Fantastic Geek feed. Ditto on there's Werewolf by Night as we get closer to Halloween. Uh, Pete, I have been surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised at how Disney Plus, uh, at least for me, I don't know if they algorithm every Buddy, but uh, Werewolf by Night continues to be in the top of that, you know, rotating carousel there when you log into Disney Plus. So they're definitely giving it the the spotlight here as we get ho- closer to All Hallows Eve. So whether you listen by night, whether you listen by day, up there for you on our Marvel movie podcast and our pop culture podcast as well. Tomorrow we will be discussing the Lower Decks season three finale. Looking forward to that. Uh, what has been a really, really great season there, and uh, keeping things in the world of animation in the near future. Pete, over on our Patreon, what are we going to be talking about? The Star Wars Tales of the Jedi uh, six shorts that bowed on uh, Wednesday alongside Andor, uh, really fleshing out some of Ahsoka's story. You've got some. Count Dooku, you've got some Liam Neeson, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, and some other surprises there. So uh, if you haven't checked that out or you're looking for discussion on that, we will be bringing that to our Patreon uh, very soon. And Pete, I know we give our contact info at the end of every podcast, but uh, just a reminder to everybody that uh, you can always keep the conversation going with Fantastic Geek. We are remaining on Twitter 
uh, for the current time frame. Don't forget, we're also on Facebook, also on Gmail. I have to admit, Pete, yes, we're on Instagram. It's probably the least loved of the social media children in terms of stuff that we put there. I think it's uh, it's a good opportunity, no time like the present, etc., for us to be uh, interacting a bit more on Instagram. So wherever the social media winds might uh, might blow, uh, we're, we're there to keep the conversation going. I would even propose, Pete, you can type a 280-character email to us almost as fast as a tweet, uh, almost as fast as a Facebook post and so forth. So, you know, we'll, let's keep the conversation going. All sorts of ways to do that. And we're also interested to hear from you. Would you check out a Fantastic Geek TikTok? Yeah, what does that what does that look like? What does that sound like? What is that? How does how do we intersect with that? So love to get some thoughts there from people um in in pete just a dynamic time in the world of social media plug in you should be able to interpret the entire imperial network let's take a closer look at the data tapes smuggled out about this episode a prisoner at the front of a line stands before a door as it opens with shore troopers hurrying it along cassian andor aka keith Girgo is shoved up a stairway and into an amphitheater-turned-staging area for a trio of prisoner transports. Prisoners are asked their name and their home planet before being assigned one of those ships. Keith gives his home as Darius Plata and is directed to Narkina 5. He's a tourist! Uh, we have in this early portion of the episode a lot of intercutting between a variety of stories. Pete, if you will allow me, I'd like to stay on the Andor transport portion here. Uh, they are put into their seats. Uh, footwear is uh, is uh, <laughs> dispensed with uh, as the the guard, as the you know Empire folks tell them. You know, sandals, shoes, the whole thing. Get rid of it. We see that the manacles are magnetically pulled onto the arms of the chair. Uh, not a lot of uh, Andor dialogue in this uh, this portion of the story here. They're relying on the, the the looks on his face, the shock, the what is going on factor, and all of that. Uh, and uh, that ship takes off, headed to uh, parts unknown. Cyril Karn slaves away at his cubicle at the Bureau of Standards. A mouse droid is heard, and then. I- Eyes are drawn as two Imperial officers march with his superior and stop in front of him. Maybe, again, staying with this part of the story here, ultimately, Dedra comes and questions Karn on account of his uh, his various requests to the uh, the info hub there for the Bureau of Standards on one Cassian Andor uh, looking for this uh, plot and that plot and, uh, plot and so forth. Karn has filed five, nay, six false inquiries as to what he's doing. He notes that Andor is a threat to the Empire, uh, but Dedra tells him he's now engaged the curiosity uh, of the ISB. Uh, so would he like to share more? Uh, one would think he'd want to leave Ferrix behind, and Karn really quick to show, Pete, I guess I'm going to compliment this face of, you know, fascism here he's quick to have a have a backbone here and say one would be wrong 
Uh, he's asked what's in the report that should be known. He, of course, has never read the report, which Pete is a minor detail. I mean, it's there. It's not completely hidden. But back when he's told, um, you know, early on, he and his uh, fellow security folks, you know, you're going to sign the report. You don't need to worry about what's in it. Bing, bang, boom. I had no idea they were setting up a later story point. Um, but uh, Dedra, she doesn't show it, Pete, but it's clear that she knows there's some blood in the water here. Is it his? Is it? ISB blood is it more on Andor? Uh, she doesn't show it, but she steps out of the the question room here and uh, tells her subordinates that she wants Karn to read that report. And she's got to head upstairs uh, to be able to move to the next point of her story of all days here. But Dedra Miro says they have time. The prison transport heads for Narkina 5, a moon of a gas giant, over a large body of water. Uh, installations sit as the ship turns hard and Keefe gets a look outside the window. Uh, there are whirlpools as if they're generating hydrodynamic power as the craft lands. I do love the visual here because there are those whirlpools it's clear that there's something farther down. Um, they're not ready to show us that yet. I think that adds to the mystery of the place and so forth. The fact that this, you know, and to a certain degree is an unescapable prison. Pete, I suspect in theories we're going to talk if Andor spends the rest of his days in his prison or if he's <laughs> ever going to get out. Um, but just hammering home, this isn't just a floating island. There's more beneath it. All of that just shown with these visuals. It's super, super impressive. Miro makes her presentation to Admiral Yularen about the Star Path unit, the now damaged one recovered from Ferrix, uh, which had been stolen from the Steerguard naval base last year. Uh, they don't know when it was taken from Steerguard because Steerguard was afraid to disclose the theft and thought it could hide its absence. And her report, which she had promised, uh, highlights the prevalence of the problem galaxy-wide. Admiral Yularen, though reading, is listening. There's a couple of great beats in this scene where, you know, the increasingly bold Miro, you know, kind of looks around, reads the room, and continues... Uh, this unit found last month on Ferrix, Matt, because we're going to talk about some of the timeline discrepancies in this episode. Um, in the Morlana One sector, the thief hologram comes up here of a young Cassian Andor wanted for the murder of two corporate security officers. Our necessary exposition here for somebody unaware of him, uh, that, of course, uh, the legacy character of Admiral Yularen. Uh, the star path was left behind in the escape and or was in the act of uh, transferring this unit to a person Miro has named Axis because of his centrality to what they believe is an organized rebel effort to acquire specialized Imperial gear. And Yularen reads quite the wish list, a full planetary comnet, garrison tech package, series nine spectrum surveillance, local agent funding, and a code droid. All ready to go, says 
Miro. Um, and if there is somebody out there talking, they need to be listening. Yularen points out, of course, the large price tag of this, which Miro is quick to beat back is a fraction of the price of the lost technology. Uh, so she wants to drill down on Ferrix, find the thief, and and then what? Well, she wants to identify Axis. And of course, we're talking about Luthen Rail at this point, not known to them. Uh, they escaped together, and Axis is the first best lead they've had, which brings us to Major Partigas here, Miro's biggest supporter in the room, that she has convinced him that Axis has been nimble in spreading his activities across the galaxy. So they don't know him, nor do they know the scope of their problem. But the little that they're aware is already troubling. Ferrix was a mistake, the first that Axis has made. And she wants to drill down. She wants to find Andor. And she wants to get a hunt started. Pete, Denise Goff, who plays Dead Vermeero, just so wonderful in this scene in particular. I mean, she's been great the entire time. You had mentioned how she's asking for more resources in order to go after Alias, Axis, how there's a little pushback there. And just such a wonderful acting moment. She realizes that she's gone a bit too far in her enthusiasm. She kind of pulls her head back a bit, but also I think... Uh, Denise Goff, the actress, as well as Dedra, the character, making the conscious decision to not be backing down, i.e., you know, look away, shuffle through digital papers, or, or you know, there's kind of not that physical submission going on, even at the even at the meeting table. She's holding her ground while backing off a little bit. Pete, this is why you get great actors for things like this, because I think that probably the average person maybe we do that sometimes at work maybe we don't i don't know but to sit and go give this emotion on camera and action i don't think the average person can do that it takes an extraordinary actor to do it and we're getting it here with denise goff it's not just uh bo williman's script here it's been throughout the series matt they have made us subconsciously root for an imperial officer at times um because we see the uphill fight for Miro in these meetings, the backstabbing that's gone on with uh, Blevin, um, a seemingly disinterested, uh, you know, uber superior in Yularen, and she's won the support of Major Partigas here, and, you know, he's trying to get them to go the way that that she wants um it's a fantastic scene and transitioning to that back to the transport that had docked before this meeting and now the door is opening i get it they don't want to continue that other scene so long and, and do this it creates a little bit of an awkward handoff back to narkina 5 here where that door opens and our uh inmates move down the ramp barefooted on program 
Yes. Uh, we see their bare feet, of course. We uh, Even before there are close-ups to the guards with their, their rubber boots, rubber-lined boots. The, the new Vader 5s. <laughs> Indeed. Um, we see those in mid-shots before they, you know, they get their own close-up as well. They're told to get on program. They're told... Again, I, I don't even know. I don't know the character's name nor the actor's name, but kind of head guard who's going to give the welcome to prison speech here. He's it's basically kind of calm. Welcome to the calm, chill prison. You may notice the lack of weapons and so forth. But there's this malice and this sadism in you know as he's getting ready for the big reveal here and so forth. Um, which again, like I, 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 I don't know who this guy is. He might be a yeah, I'm sure he's a a very well accomplished actor in the UK and so forth. They're not going for some sort of you know cameo thing to get Chief Guard Number One here, um, but he j- he's bringing all the malice of a guy who really looks forward to these welcome aboard speeches. That you know how how do we keep order here? Um, and then he zaps them, shocks them, and badly so, um, and you know t- clearly taking the wind out of their sails. And they're told to all get up as we get this welcome aboard uh, message here. That shock delivered from the tungstoid steel floors. That was just level one of three. If they do their time productively, they stay in their lane. It doesn't need to be more than a memory. And he wishes him good luck and turns away as they're lined up again. But hey, hey, Karn has finished reading that report. Finally. <laughs> Pete, on the topic of these intercut stories here, I, I suppose now is as good a time as any to mention as compelling or as compelling as the Andor stuff is in this episode in the show Andor. I think that we are equally compelled with um, now, you know, the Karn story and the Miro story have uh, have crisscrossed. We're going to get them or at least, you know, Miro to Ferrix by the end of the episode and so forth. It had me thinking of in a weird way, Pete, about a year ago when Hawkeye hit Disney Plus, Pete, who was maybe the least interesting character in Hawkeye? The Hawkeye. Hawkeye, right? It was a great pilot to get you interested in other characters and returning characters and, and all that. What I found interesting about this episode, super excellent episode, maybe better than last week's episode, is you don't lose sight of Andor in it, and the his story remains compelling even as we go come on dedra fight sexism you're on the right path to wait stop the rebel alliance no i don't mean that yeah karn clear your name so you can go wait what like as they're doing all this baddies who we can somehow be sympathetic to stuff still there is the through line of andor um in the andor show and i think that that is to be particularly commended especially since, as I said, Pete, we saw with Hawkeye where it's like, oh no, it's another Hawkeye scene in Hawkeye. Um, can we get back to somebody? Can we get more Yelena, please? Because uh, I want that. It's the power of compelling character here. And though we love to hate Karn, you know, with Miro returning here to find out that uh, the, the report of the Ferrix incident is worse than he feared. This criminal negligence of his commanding officer, a total lack of imperial authority, um, that Andor was obviously aided by an 
organized uh, group of accomplices. None of it in the report. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, the uselessness, uh, nay, Matt, the emasculation um, of Karn. Okay, uh, what's not in there? Tell me about his accomplice. Oh, um, older guy wore a cloak, dark boots, and again, Denise Gaff. There, there's, there's just a look. <laughs> like, is, is this dude serious? Well, and that's what's so wonderful about the scene. We know a variety of things. We know that within the world of this narrative, she's going after Luthen. We know with outside star Wars knowledge, you know, IE other stories. I don't mean production stuff. We know Luthen is not there in, you know, a new hope empire strikes back return of the Jedi and so forth. So potential that Luthen meets his end this season or next season. Okay. That's an on the table, very real risk here. Uh, we see the, the conflict between Dedra and Luthen and here Karn is to put a bow on it. And it's like, Oh, he wore some, Stuff? No, wait. I'd recognize his voice. Uh, let's stick a pin in that, Pete. I think mm-hmm. just that, just as "Don't read the report" came back four episodes later. Let's let's keep track of that there. But you're right. It's Karn's big redemptive, you know, direct A to B. Now Karn's a little junior officer in the ISB helping Dedra out. Here, go get a new uniform. No, no, no. Uh, Karn's hopes squashed here because all he can do is say, "Kind of older guy." Um, so she's on her way out. The end. Oh, wait. Karn notes he was a good deputy inspector. She has spoken about service to the Empire. He wants to preserve order even more. Can you do too much to preserve order? Uh, the answer is yes. But within Karn's world, it's a good question to, to Dedra. Um, and I think it's at that point it's clear Dedra it's clear to all, both of them, Dedra and Karn, that uh, she needs Andor and the partner Karn says he could be a valuable asset moving forward. Um, and then she tells him to stop raising the alarm. Forget all this happens. Uh, forget all this has happened. Again, Pete, small acting moment here. Yes, we have a close-up on Karn and so forth. He has a little smile that he then mm-hmm. stifles. Because guess what, Pete? He just got a new hope. Miro knows what he is. Uh, that's the true takeaway of this scene the dude is a loose cannon that thinks he's on the empire's side um which again matt they they have somehow made (laughs) her the ideal of some form of ethics within the empire that she had no idea that he had not been allowed to read the report he was made to sign. Um, and, you know, Matt has a particular theory about Miro we'll talk about later. But we go back to Narkina 5 where uh, Keefe, now clad in his prison whites, is shoved on the steps there, then made to stop. Um, interesting contrast to what we saw on Ferrix with the rack of all the gloves here with those imperial shock resistant boots um and he's made to be on program again with his hands behind his head and another guard explaining 
the zap rod there that if he has to use it, he'll remember it, won't you? But talk about putting a pin in the previous scene. Oh, yeah, I heard, uh, you know, the guy you're looking for. I'd recognize his voice anywhere that there's a guard who is late to this prisoner transfer sequence. This is all story seeding for future episodes and how they're going to time their escape. Uh, yeah, I have no doubt we are seeing the reverse escape here. You know, the, the, the induction in reverse will be the, the exit. Um, again, particularly just to better understand after eight episodes how this works and that, you know, scene filler from the fourth episode uh, as Karin and other people are getting yelled at and you'll do this and you'll do that and you're on out of here. And, and it, it kind of was like a scene that writes itself where they yell a bunch of things. No, no, no. One of those things, a very specific point, signing the report, coming back. So same thing here. Uh, we have the door in this outer area. The door is opened and Andor is brought into the, 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 the factory area, the building area. As his lift goes down, Pete, did you see there was just enough camera wobble to suggest that this is indeed a two-story set that has a lift? Uh, because let's not forget, Pete, your Mr. Anthony Gilroy likes this <laughs> show to be in the world of the real. Oh, Tony Gilroy. Um, yeah, this this set and the reveal that comes here with with keeping it essentially closed, Matt, and keeping this news from breaking out of of an actor revealed here. Um, but this is five uh, two D, um, and as the supervisor, the unit manager uh, comes over to explain that um, this is level five, room two, D for day shift. Okay. Um, and everything in sevens as that guard retreats there, seven levels of factory, seven rooms per level, seven tables per room, seven men per table. So uh, I did the math, Matt. There are 16,807 prisoners in this facility. Currently, anyway. Um, one of them is going to rail in a little bit. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Pete, we could be flippant about fictional characters here. Um, weird that there are these repeating sevens. I don't know to make anything out of it. Um, maybe it's just... Mr. Anthony Gilroy's favorite number is seven. He likes the seven times table. It, it was just one of those things where we, we keep hearing it. You know, I don't know. Is it Magnificent Seven? Okay, is I was... the device that they're making, does it have seven arms, I wonder? Uh, I have to go back and look. It it may. Although I feel like it's an even number. I feel like it's it's maybe six. Um, but you know what, Pete? Hashtag the numbers are back. Okay, let's find out the <laughs> seven repetition theory. Seven but we're on level five, and, and this is, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the manager here, uh, though his name is Kino Loy, and he's played by Andy Sirkis, uh, 
could he be somebody he's played before? Uh, Pete, I can only imagine Anthony Gilroy, Tony Gilroy, fomenting at the mouth saying, we're not doing any of that bleepity bleep, setting stuff up for the future. This is in the here and the now. Um, I will say this, Pete, in the last couple days, uh, episode director Toby Haynes did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter. A couple of takeaways, including um, Andy Serkis's presence here. Like, they had been circling for him, but then it, it, the long and the short of it being, it was a very quick um, offer to him, and then they kind of didn't, allegedly, didn't know if he was going to be there until the first day. Not literally the case, but just kind of one of these, like, one of these things where it's like, we made the offer on Monday. He needs to be here next Monday. We haven't heard back, like kind of that sort of thing. Um, also mentioned while I'm on the topic, Pete, Toby Haynes, who directed episodes one, two, three, eight, nine, and 10. All of those episodes were directed in the first block. So you're seeing stuff in this episode, and I'll point it out when we get to the proper scene. In this episode is somebody's first day on the show. Um, back when they started filming which just blows my mind that this time mm -hmm. next week we'll be talking about episode i'm sorry two weeks from now we'll be talking about episode 10 all of which would have been shot before uh the aldani episodes were shot things like that where you just go okay i know i know that's how films are doing it i know shooting in block is how you do a big big show i.e uh your game of thrones and whatnot but it's just insane to think that what happens in two weeks they had happened before they rolled up to meet uh you know the whole aldani crew there yeah uh but to continue on with what keith learns in this scene that the guard will not be back they only come to pick up the dead or to replace them and that he now belongs to kino he takes the men off program where they put their hands down and go back to work for what we're told are 12 hour shifts. Produ productivity is encouraged and evaluation is constant. Keith is assigned to table five. That pod is behind because he's not online to do his job. Can he read? He can. And he's shown there on a tablet strapped to Kino's arm that there are boxes one through seven there are scores for each of the tables in the room on the shift and table five is at the bottom they are in last place uh the tallies are running shift totals from all the other rooms on the floor they play against the other tables in the room he plays against all the other rooms play asked keith we'll call it what you will the point is that he understands one thing the most clearly. The Kino has 249 days left to his sentence, or does he not? Uh, that he has a free hand in how he runs his room, and he's used to seeing it in the top three uh, of the level. Uh, and that Keefe will want to keep that happening. If he's sick, if he's injured, he talks to Keefe. Kino, if he has problems with another inmate, Kino will know before Keith does. If he's losing hope or his mind, he should keep that to himself. Don't ever slow up his line. 
Andor at this point formally Jane's, uh, joins Table 5, meeting the crew. Pete, all of them, a bevy of future action figures, what with names and, <laughs> and you know, the cardboard backing of the action figure. We can have a little <laughs> character, you know, biography and so forth. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> they are not Oh, come well, on, Pete. One of them, maybe, Matt, who's not new. Uh, who is not new? Melshi. Ah, yes. The minor character from Rogue One. I had to read about that. I must confess, Pete, I don't remember Melshi from the movie. He is a soldier on Scarif. So at least, Pete, we know he's going to make his way uh, through this. Um, they're, they're told, let's get to work. We can rally. Uh, they indeed do start to work um, and are watching. But Kino gets the call. Uh, the room is behind on productivity, so they're going to go into a sprint uh, with discipline for the least productive table. And we see Andor uh, taking in the construction of things as the uh, the cycle continues of the creation of these uh, metallic parts here. Introduced to the table, we have Jembok, we have Zal, we have Taga, we have Ulof. Matt, who uh, you might recognize, he is the actor who was told in the original Batman movie, 1989, that Batman is Batman. We have Ham, and of course we have Melchie. The story moves on to uh, worms being put into champagne. The camera <laughs> pulls back to reveal that it's a party at Mon Mothma's place. Uh, Perrin's going to take that extra worm since Mon, if I may call her such, does not want it. Uh, Perrin is told that she needs to uh, to rally some votes here. Tay arrives uh, and he says to Mon, with Perrin listening, the new legislation is having an impact. I have to admit, Pete, it's only on second view that it's things like when Perrin turns away to order another drink. There are these minor acting moments where... Mon Mothma and Tay are kind of looking at each other like oh, it's having an effect. Like they're, they're, the whole subtext between them mm. and their money moving and all the illegality and so forth is right there on the razor's edge. Um, once Perrin steps away, Tay is able to give more details. These banking regulations are tightening more and more. Uh, Lita stops in, you know, the daughter, Pete, who I keep wondering, they kind of keep just dropping her in here. So we remember that she's a character. I have a theory for later on, um, but certainly in the moment she's there. Oh, she remembers Tay and um, Pete. It's just enough for us to say, hey, she's a character worth keeping an eye on. Yes, this after Perrin had dismissed himself uh, as they go feed the galaxy. He was off to feed himself. And Tay told him the charity began at home. Uh, Lita here in her gold dress. Wait, wait, you're here all the time now, not dad with my mom. Interesting. He says he's learning to love Coruscant. Um, and uh, Mon tells Lita that her father is looking for her. But wait, they're drinking squigs. Mom's lost the taste for it. Uh, Lita thinks it's disgusting and tay says that is the point um and she of course excuses herself here that money that they've moved already 
um, they're going to need to find a way to explain. Um, so Tay has apparently given up on hiding it. Uh, how much are they worrying about? 400,000 credits. And just then, Mon Mothma is found by uh, somebody, assuming a, another senator or, or someone who can possibly be swayed here. She was just coming to see him. Perrin told him that she has been hoarding these squigs, these worms, I guess, think tequila with the, the worm in it. Um, and, uh, of course, Mon Mothma magnanimous here uh always forgets that this other man is a chandrillin at heart uh and he always forgets how sweet she is when she's looking for votes we go back to the prison with the day shifters lined up one way presumably the night shift uh headed towards the the work floor there uh, our day shifters are sullen and knocked up. Uh, Pete, I am convinced. I mean, look, within the world of the story, okay, clearly the last place table got the consequences. I am convinced that they had a shock torture scene written. Perhaps they even shot it. You want to make the argument from Mouse HQ on down, like maybe that would have been one torture bit too many or what you shot is too dark or what's in the script we're not going to do, that sort of thing, but... I think the intention was to show them in a in a bad state uh, and not kind of the, hey, remember the thing that happened 20 minutes ago when Andor came in? Uh, it's worse now because some of these guys have first or second degree burns on their faces. Uh, regardless, the whole, the whole crew here are silent. Uh, we do see one prisoner using sign language across Taga. the way. Who is it? Taga. Indeed, Taga signing. Uh, we see, you know, conversation coming on back. Uh, again, we could have dialogue. This is how news spreads among the pods. We are grown-ups. We can just understand that. Andrew also notes the levels. I know Pete, Ron, level five and so forth. But similarly, I think we're going to return to uh, this space, much as we had the whole kind of prisoner induction moment there whether we're going up from tube to tube or whatever it's going to look like, we're establishing this place. We see Andor taking in the surroundings, counting the levels, whatever it might be. Uh, and with that, a buzzer sounds and day shift uh, moves towards their, uh, their cubicle area as night shift heads on out. Back to Mon Mothma's here where we have several senators, it's assumed, speaking. Uh, that yes, Palpatine is frustrating. They seem to agree upon that. Uh, is he too easily provoked? Yes. Is he overreactive? Perhaps. Uh, some senators seem to think that's an understatement. Um, but they're discussing this legislation, the P.O.R.D., which the prisoners are also interested about in the next scene. Um, you know, the one woman there, other than Mon Mothma, Vivin, uh, says that the Empire's the Emperor's primary charge is to protect them, is it not? And that's what this P.O.R.D. will do. But Mon Mothma wonders aloud how much protection is enough 
um, that they'll have surveillance prosecution without limit uh, and on uh, man there in the meeting in the in the conversation notes that if you're not doing anything wrong what do you have to fear about uh but mon mothma fears his definition of wrong uh vivin notes that these are dangerous times that they are under threat uh that uh is voiced by others um, but there's a man says that, uh, yeah, he's at greater risk of ingesting too much of this nourishing Chandrillan hospitality. <laughs> so from this notion of, you know, the innocent have nothing to fear, we go back to the, the cell block in the prison. Pete, I know Andor is, uh, according to our most recent memories, of course, he's completely innocent of the crime, uh, you know which has sent him here or the crimes like resisting arrest and so forth, kind of under false pretense. Attempted destruction of Imperial property, which is best I can tell was when he was pinned by the KX droid to concrete that he attempted to free himself. That was the attempt of destruction. Or at least attempted to not be choked to a point where he lost consciousness. Um, is worth mentioning he's not a completely innocent person uh see the 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 theft at aldani and so forth and the people killed along the way but certainly the notion of he's innocent of the crime that got him here here we are on the cell block uh the rules are established for us uh white lights are the the normal floor red lights are uh are, are the hot light um i.e the shock there andrew has shown his rack here's where you get your water your night light your toilet your plate your spoon your shaver uh, what about food? Food is from a tube. You'll learn to eat it. Uh, the winner, the winning table gets taste in their food. Um, and then there is his tab, the number of days left in prison. Uh, it's then noted, Pete, you know, here we've had the PORD set up. Everyone's number was doubled last month, which Pete is another minor insignificant, like, oh, judge yells at them with pick four things where judge says, or pick, I guess it came from the ISB, like pick, pick four things that sound really scary. One of them, you know, but like, whatever, it's just the man, the, the, the government being mean. One of them was the doubling of sentences or reevaluation of sentences. Here we are looking at the people who, mm -hmm. who, who have been directly impacted by the guy in the room. Of course, unbeknownst to them. Um, you know, what have you heard out there about the PORD? Wait. This guy has no idea, you know, that that garrison where everyone was killed and stuff. No, he hasn't heard about, about that either, which must have been this. I heard of, they burned it down, Matt. Rumor, myth, legend. Um, and or, of course, mum about it. And they all say, you know, oh, he, he, he doesn't know anything about this. He doesn't know anything about rebel activity and so forth. Um, and this is when Melshi runs his mouth about there being no freedom. Uh, but Pete, let's not let's not talk too long here. Hot floor in 30 seconds. Uh, as Andor gets ready to settle into his first night in the slammer. Yes, a long look from Zal there before he's the last one to pile in and the whirring, uh, the the red of the electrified floor and Andor sighing. We go back to Mon's party and just a lovely little scene about how uh, her guests are so enjoying the view here, the, the the nightscape on Coruscant and so forth. Uh, how Mon and uh, and Perrin do not spend time looking out the window, despite the lovely view. 
One forgets to savor the familiar. Um, we get some backstory here. They've been there since Mon came here as a new senator at 16. They were married at 15. It's the old ways of Chandrilla. Pete, I don't know if we are setting up um, the, the notion of, uh, you know, forgetting to savor the familiar. I don't know if that's a meta commentary or if that's a character commentary. I don't know if, I know we get some backstory as to maybe why Mon and Perrin uh, have lost the love that they perhaps once had. Uh, I don't know what the ultimate purpose is of this scene, but this is beautiful by itself. We were told in the previous scene that he had been an academy, Imperial Academy firebrand at one point. Uh, we were told the previous episode that there's a reunion that Tay Colma was a classmate of theirs as children. Uh, interesting to see how these details pay off. Uh, Lita, it's interesting to note, Matt, approximately the age they were when they were married, maybe a little earlier. Okay, a little younger. Uh, grabs a goodie and heads out in the foreground of this scene. Um, and uh, Mon Mothma asks uh, Perrin if he's seen Tay. No, he's left. He said he had an early morning. And Mon excuses herself after promising to spend more time at that window and drops her smile as she walks away. In the prison, Andor is curled up and stunned, uh, but then we are told it is 30 shifts later. I suspect that it's meant to be him waking up in the morning and then through the magic of camera work, uh, it's 30 shifts later. Regardless, um, we see him uh, taking one more sip of his morning water and the crew steps out. The men are given a quick steam shower and fresh clothes. Um the crew is running fast now, you know, continuing to crank out their their metal parts here. Though old Zal is slowing things down, uh, the the table rallies around him. We can win this shift. And I did find myself wondering, Pete, though I don't spend myself, uh, I don't spend a lot of time wondering about such things. Uh, it did appear that perhaps Andy Circus and others were, uh, were uh, shall we say, wearing less versus more. And I had to wonder, you know, Maybe somebody says, oh, you know, do we really, you know, let's just all wear shorts for this and keep the camera above it. Let's not forget Andy Serkis, the the uh, well-regarded stage actor who one day in the late 1990s was asked, hey, would you like to do a voice acting thing? We're doing a bunch of auditions for this, this Lord of the Rings thing, just looking for voice actors. Oh, we're going to record them just because it's easier, you know, it's easier to send a videotape to New Zealand and so forth. But uh, Andy Serkis, by the way he appeared on the audition tape for Gollum, um, the way he appeared, the, the energy he put into it for this voice-only job, that had them rethink how they were going to have a Gollum actor and a Gollum on set. So next thing he knows, he's now booked a job for 18 months to go down there and to wear tights all the time and not appear <laughs> in the movie. Um but then, of course, you know, playing a character on screen, you know, just point being the whole Andy Serkis um, resume is made possible by, by the fact that he gave 110% for a job that he had to audition for a bunch of other voice actors with a, a bunch of other voice actors. So as they get ready for the steam shower, Pete, and I'm wondering, are they I can just imagine in my mind's eye, Andy Serkis saying, we're going to do this scene in the nude, men, because you know what? 
nobody's above living in the moment here. And if you think you're above anything, let me tell you about the time I went from a voice job to profoundly changing my life all because I gave extra. So skivvies off. Let's go. Right. You know, that his career has, has gone kind of in the reverse, right? You'd, you'd think a performer would first be that on camera actor and then pick up the voice gigs and do the motion capture. It's worked in the, the opposite way. And, and here it is, you know, Andy Circus, human actor, uh, playing Kino Loy, human unit manager, uh, that that may or may not, probably not, become another character we've seen him play before in a Star Wars universe. Um, but the transition here of of time, the thirty shifts, the two thousand one hundred eighty nine days to the 2,159, although, I mean, darn, Matt, that font is difficult to read. <laughs> and is, also that they eat in the same place where they relieve themselves, though it gets cleaned out. <laughs> uh, and they go into their mist bath, and <laughs> then the cubicles, they're the cubbies to get their uh, their clothing. Um Back in the room where they assemble the Imperial tech widgets, um, Olaf has a pin jam, and Zal has to help him with a laser drill, uh, earning Kino's ire as he comes over to ask, is, is Keith taking a breather? Because, uh, you know, your table has a shot of winning today. It'd be a shame if you waste it. And Melshi hands Keith that drill there, uh, and they lower the uh, drill from above to be able to finish off the piece. We go back to Ferrix, which, Pete, I remember in my ignorance back when we you know, had the first three episodes the first, uh, the first week, and we kind of leave Ferrix apparently never to return the next episode is all donnie it's like boy are we ever gonna return to ferrix or is this one of these kind of you know just for the one little arc you know no we're back we're back in a big way uh marva is looking drained and cold as she wheezes in her home pete you'll never guess how tony gilroy got it to look so cold there uh it's apparently not a crew of digital technicians in another country is it uh, no, this was a practical set, so the outside and the inside are all one, and they filmed in December in the United Kingdom, so the cold is real. And as noted by uh, by the episode uh, director, Toby Haynes, he's like, I'm sure they could have heated it, but this way it was real. Um, so Marva's not looking well. Uh, Brasso is there, Bix as well, kind of tending to her. The cough doesn't sound good, uh, and so forth. Oh, you know, we heard you were found passed out and that sort of thing right outside her home. Brasso and Bix talk. Um, what was she doing out there? Marva was looking for the old tunnel under the hotel. Why would she do that? So the rebellion can use it one day. She's a rebel. Pete, that's in your subtitles there in your captions with a capital R. Um, but can't Marva get help? Maybe another place to stay, you know, daughters of Ferrix help her out, some sort of thing. No, 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 that we've been through all this. 
Um, she wants to stay put. This is how she's how she wants to live live life here. Um, if only they could get word to Cassian, but no, no, no. Uh, Brasso doesn't know where he is. Bix doesn't know where he is. You know who else doesn't know where he is? Is <gasps> Vel looking on? Cinta there too, all watching Marva's doorstep here. Uh, I, I don't know whether we know if Vel and Cinta know that uh, Brasso and Bix are are as close to Andor. I think Bix a little bit more. Um, but just <laughs> it now an incredibly small world, small galaxy, because. Uh, word of course is out there to find andor Cinta's drink that vel ordered for her has gotten cold but Cinta saw a room to rent around the corner she saw a sign uh vel says she can't stay there uh but Cinta can alone two of them would draw too much attention uh so what they just wait there and hope he cassian shows uh but he could be anywhere what is the alternative vel says they've been apart long enough haven't they but cinta stays on mission here it is not about them but what about what they've been through it's a fight to the death vel she could say cinta could she's a rich girl running away from her family Ooh, that's cold even for her uh but she did tell vel up front it was the struggle that always comes first and that they can take what's left. Cinta is a mirror to Val. She loves her because she shows her what she needs to see. And they watch as Bix leaves uh, and Brasso heads inside there. Cinta takes Val's hand. Just a great, scene here yeah that line the mirror that shows what needs to be seen i mean there's your there's your contribution uh by bo willeman i mean certainly the other the other writers on this staff small as it may be uh equally powerful but just just what an evocative line there the story moves on with bix going to see pock i must admit pete i i I didn't know we're gonna be back in pock's shop um yet another example of hey do you remember that smaller detail well it's a big detail now uh she wants to look for something in the back of course code to go use the radio Pac tries to wave her off uh but she says it's really really important and he gives in uh, and she goes back uh to fire up and to send out code over the secret radio uh and with that pete take us across uh across the galaxy as clea gets that call and Luthen's gallery here, Clea up the back. There is a Nabu headpiece visible in this episode, like when Padme uh, was uh, traveling uh, incognito with Anakin in uh, Attack of the Clones. Um, but Clea is listening to the shop owner on Barracks, who is attempting to find Andor. Uh, with a message that his mother is ill. Um, but she tells uh, Luthen they're not answering that they can't. Uh, Luthen says they can point them in the right direction. Um, but uh, that Bix, who's on the other end here, knows more than they do. But Clea says this is more likely the ISB working her radio. 
that uh, she's guessing and that Luthen is slipping. Uh, she says she's shutting down Ferrix, the code, the frequency, all of it. That she is thinking clearly, Clea is, that Luthen is not. Uh, he is told to tell her to shut it down. Um, he's worried that Andor is out there, that he knows him, that they don't know what else he knows. Uh, he made a mistake by taking him on the Fondor. Um, and Clea notes that Luthen was desperate for Aldani to work, uh, that they'll find Andor. They're just not going to find him this way. Bell and Cinta are hunting for him. Uh, are they on Ferrix yet? Well, Clea is going to listen. They're being careful, so she does not know yet. Uh, but Luthen identifies the woman on the other end of the radio as Bix Colleen. Uh, Vel could have a look if it's safe, uh, but they know what they're doing. He's not slipping. He's just been hiding too long. Uh, but Clea says it's different now. Vener vulnerability is inevitable. And uh, she needs Luthen to wake up because they have a lot to do. So he tells her to shut it down. And she does. It's such a strong scene. Uh, I think that a lesser writer, a lesser writing room, a lesser production would have just had uh, Luthen, the strong, older, wiser white guy, like make the call, shut it down, shut it down, that sort of thing. The fact that there is this partnership between the two, um, I think, A, it lends itself to the notion of a rebel alliance. It lends itself to you know, Luthen not being the old white guy always in charge kind of thing. Uh, it gives Clea more to do. Um, I think as well, this was the first time I had asked myself if the mysterious and enigmatic Luthen uh, might be slowing down or losing his, you know, losing points or aging or you know, whatever it might be where kind of Clea is suggesting, like, you don't have an objective view here. That was the first time I had thought that about, you know, Stellan Starsgard, the beloved international actor here for yet another Disney production and all of that. So I think it makes his character, makes it a better character by putting in there the possibility that he's maybe not as strong as we thought. Again, these are both characters where there's not a guarantee that they're there, you know, at, at Hoth base in Empire Strikes Back because they're not, they're not on screen and all of that. Um, it's a phenomenal scene, and with the shutting down of the radio, I love that we kind of get the postscript, though there has not been direct communication back and forth from Bix to Clea over the radio via Morse code or whatever it might be. Um, they shut it down back to Bix, who is frustrated and tries to send another signal. Again, it's not a one-for-one -one communication going on, but emotionally, she's frustrated at the scene that just transpired and so forth, and it's just a great moment of nuance. Vel is seen sitting in that shuttle to and from uh, the uh, Ferrix facilities. Uh, Cinta remains across from Marva's watching. And then we see the Fondor craft leave Coruscant with Luthen uh, setting coordinates for uh, the long way around to Segra Milo. Back to the prison we go. Uh, it is Vimos, 
considering the edge um, and ultimately jumps onto the electric floor. Um, we don't see the result of that. We hear it uh, and so forth. Again, I wonder, Pete, I, I think we can all agree a Disney Plus Star Wars show does not need to show the active uh, moment of one committing suicide via prison electrocution. Um, I do wonder if, you know, along the way you get the introduction of the shocker. You don't get the, you don't get the one where the, where table five gets shocked, even though there might be a, a story argument, but people need to really understand what this is. Um, here, uh, restraint, the best virtue. Uh, we hear the other prisoners, um, ultimately kind of callously disappointed he railed himself here now we're going to smell him all night like there's kind of a you know who is it this time there's a sense of dispassion as well as desperation it's a reminder pete that though we can say definitively it's not going to happen to Andor, this is you know this is a way out in a dire situation and just the way to did he fall did he jump uh well if this happens at night i got no sympathy for you and there's a table that's going to be shorthanded tomorrow um and melshi we can see through the subtitles says to think about that when you're getting fried tomorrow but kino tells them to quiet down and the announcer says that on level five this grid disruption uh, gives them 10 seconds to get to their sleeping platforms. Back on Ferrix, there's the tap, 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 tap signal of trouble uh, that Bix overhears as she comes out of her home. Uh, she joins the, the crowd. Uh, she's ultimately told that it is, uh, it is the trouble in, in Pac's yard. Uh, she kind of wanders even closer. Um, troopers have taken away Pack Senior, Pack Junior, saying, "Where? What have you done with my dad?" and so forth. Through the crowd, Captain Tygo sees Bix Kayleen, uh, notes it's her. He's looking at uh, a screen of some sort, perhaps it's a wanted poster or a description of her. Uh, Brasso kind of mumbles, "You know, go run and and off you go." And he kind of, "Oh no, there's stormtroopers out of the way. I'm I'm trying to move. I'm not trying to slow you down. Oops, we're bumping <laughs> together." Um, Again, not a you big, know. huge dude. Yeah, trying Oops, to I... stop these troopers from getting uh, her before she gets to Zorbies. My, um, my hands are up. It's a, it's a, oh, who me kind of thing. <laughs> I like too that she runs off. We know how it goes later on, and we don't need to see the the takedown either before the Fondor arrives at Segramilo where uh, a familiar alien character, Matt, we don't know which of the two tubes, but it's one of the two tubes guarding this uh, roughshod uh, installation um, with at least two X-Wing fighters visible in front of a cave. Uh, and Luthen asks an unseen person, um, if uh and he's changed here from his appearance on coruscant again uh if the garrison and aldani was him and saw guerrera forrest whitaker here was just about to ask him the same thing i love the subtext that luthan's not gonna say it was him that 
uh, Luthen is even proposing that it would be Saul Guerrera who did it. I used the word roughshod in my notes as well. So there we go. Kudos to the production designer that made both of us think of the exact same description here. Um, but yeah, both men right out the gate. The fact that there's um, uh, cooperation as well as some trepidation between the two of them that made clear right off the, you know, right here as they're saying, so which guy did the bank job? Um, they agree it was a masterpiece job. Whoever did it, maybe one of us. Uh, Luthen stays behind the scenes while Saw fights with people who agree with him. Another great line. If you don't know the Saw Gerrera character from the animated end, from you don't remember him from Rogue One, or if you don't, you know, kind of you know his endpoint from Rogue One, but the trajectory that got him there. Boom, we get it in one sentence here. Luthen has brought some toys, but they're not for free. What's the cost? Luthen mentions, I'd love for you to meet with Anto Krieger. No, 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 not Anto Krieger. That is the cost. Anto Krieger, who has found a weakness at uh, at one of the Empire's bases here. Spellhouse. Uh, it's almost like maybe they're setting up that these rebels want to find some sort of flaw in some sort of rebel base at some point. Um, but again, meet with Krieger and you get the toys for free uh, because these rebels need to have, you know, an alliance at some point. Even Pete, as shocked as Saw is, he, you want these people to work together. I'm talking your separatists, your neo-republicans, the Gorman Front, the Partisan Alliance, sectorists, human cultists, galaxy partitionists. How can they all work together? All are lost. All are lost. But Pete, where's Luthen on all this? Is he one of those human cultists? He is not. He's a coward, he says. He's terrified of the empire amassing so much power to the point they can't stop them. Uh, but he knows they will die if they can't align and put their differences aside. Um, saw we should note Matt fought on the side of the Republic. This is a character first seen in the clone wars. Um, who received assistance from Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka and Captain Rex um, to in a, in a multi-arc story there uh, to learn to bite off the Separatists. So, you know, the, the backstory's firmly established there. You know, no Star Wars and Tony Gilroy's Star Wars, right? Except the fact that, you know, this character has a lengthy backstory that, you know, explains for us why he won't align with a man, though he calls him an ox and, you know, sloppy that, all right, he fought on the other side. Um, apart from further backstory established in Rope, one that saw Guerrera is too extreme for the rebel alliance. All I know is this. We have Forrest Whitaker and Stone Starsguard face to face here. Uh, it, it is something else in that great Hollywood Reporter interview that Toby Hayes talks about that just like, you know, pinch me. I'm working on a Star Wars mm -hmm. show. I'm doing a bunch of episodes. I have these two guys. There's actually an interesting anecdote. Uh, Toby Hayes says that when they did the table reading for this episode 
there was so much kind of raw energy and both actors in the moment where they're feeling the conflict between the two characters that when they went to shoot it on set, it was like, how do we get back there? Because when we did the table read, <laughs> you know, we hadn't spent time like, you know, and I'm, 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 these are not all they details. Made from Whitaker come in or he came in for a table read. Really? Um, look, apparently so. So I'm just imagining like, I mean, and I Toby Haynes was her lies, deceptions. Toby Haynes was suggesting that what they got, or he did say what they got, it took ter- several takes to get there. And certainly the notion of they were chasing after the antagonism of the table read, you know, one imagines, all right, are both guys both in the costume department at the same time? Oh, how's it going? Or you're in the same van as you go to the location and so forth. And you're just chit chatting, you know, about whatever. And that that has, somehow demoted their performance here, which I, I do have a hard time believing that two such great actors c- could be subject to that. Um, but again, just here's in the scene, we get Pete. They're clearly at odds. It's Forrest Whitaker, who is, I think, showing the greater range of emotions because Saw is trying to rein in his passion as well as needing to work with this guy. And the, the two, the, you know, the two, uh, the two elk, uh, locking antlers here and then it's uh, Saw who kind of pulls back gives the smile these gentlemen warrior diplomats they can't come to an agreement today though uh, no sale Luthen. good luck with your former separatist here Anton Krieger we go back to Ferrix where Bix has been caught she's brought to the former hotel uh, in one of its rooms, there is a tech uh, with Miro. Uh, we see that Pac is kind of uh, prone in a chair. Captain Tygo tells uh, Miro that Bix is on the way up. Would she like the room cleared? No. Miro wants Bix to see Pac. Uh, that when she gets there, though, Part of the act tells Captain Tygo uh, to get Pac out of here. What are you doing? And he's carried off uh, the chair emptied. Hello, Bix, the hand extending to the chair as the door closes. That is a very natural point to end the episode, but we return one more time to the prison where at Andor's table, the team is flying along in cooperation and partnership as more and more parts get made to end the episode. The people are starting to stand up. Just how will the revolution happen? Pete, through a weird coincidence, okay? I I happen, not because of this show, because of a british podcast that talks about all sorts of things that a couple weeks ago they did an episode in 1984 and i was like hey i don't think i've read 1984 in high school let me get the audiobook so i'm listening to the audiobook and you know obviously all the oppression and all the prescience there and so forth uh an element from 1984 that jumped out at me is the notion that uh good children learn to spy on their parents and sell Mm -hmm. them out to the, the the government and big brother and all that so with that spirit in a show that is a you know this show andor that is about an oppressive government and is there even a way out you know glint of hope we know there is but if of all you've ever seen of star wars is andor it's difficult to imagine how long until lita 
who keeps getting dropped into the episode. Oh, don't forget this is her kid. Don't forget this is her kid. How long until Lita sells out her mother? It's clearly coming, and that's the the car crash we see that's inevitable. Um, the family is a shell that we're told in this episode they've been together, married, arranged since 15, and, you know, Mon Mothma is attempting to do the right thing. She's moving money around. Um you know, there's more than enough subtext to imply that Lita thinks her mother is having an affair. Um, you know, she clearly favors her father. Her father clearly doesn't favor his wife, uh, her mother. Um, so when uh, I think the next two episodes too soon, I, I think that's end of the season drama i'll i'll say the penultimate episode i will go with episode nine thank you Lita mothma for your service to the empire pete speaking of servants of the empire um again part of this hollywood reporter uh interview which i will link to in the podcast description uh the notion uh, the interviewer even says like uh, this is a show that's um, taking the face of fascism and making some of these people, uh, Miro and Karn, sympathetic. Um, kind of, you know, why are you doing that? Or or what, you know, how are you doing that? And so forth. Um, is one way out for these characters, is one way out for the notion of how do you fight fascism when you see it, you stand up and you fight against it. Is there hope that as soon, perhaps as next week, uh, Dedra will be revealed as ready to double-cross the Empire. Is that one lesson that the show gives us? That that you know, w- when you see, when you see there's this issue, you have to fight against it. The duality in her that you know, in this episode, she says, and, and she comes to the realization that Karn was not allowed to read the report; it was made to sign. But at the same time, last episode announcement that she said the, they're treating the robbery like it's a robbery when it was something more. This announcement to the rest of the galaxy that the Rebel Alliance is or that rebels exist and that this money is going to fund other things. Her theory, the acquisition of these Imperial parts, they need to fight them. Um, she's a fully rounded character, Matt. You think of all the Imperial lackeys that we've had, even some of the best of them, an Admiral Piet, you know, under Vader somehow keeps failing upward and surviving until he no longer does. Um, she's, she's the best of what we've got. And we're not even done with her yet. I hope she's the source of a turn. I guess time will tell on that. I'm I'm very I'm I'm very emotionally invested in that being a, a, a turn that could happen and that being a turn that could keep Dedra Miro in the show in an interesting way for the next two seasons. But 
I, I also will be the first to admit, Pete, if we don't get that next week when she has closed the door one-on-one or two-on-one with Bix, you know, if it's not going to happen next week, I'm, I'm ready to back off on that. Um, it, perhaps in another completely opposite trajectory here, um, Karn knowing Luthen's voice, you know, I'm, we already discussed that's got to be used uh, in, in the upcoming episodes. Do we see Karn by the end of this season, putting on the ISB uniform. I don't think that Miro knows that he's bad news, whether that's sowing a rift for her with the empire, or just realizing like this guy could not work within our system. Um, you know, the same the, has been said about Miro though. He's not following those rules, not, not, uh, you know, sticking to the sectors and so forth. Yeah, but she has a code, whereas he does not. Um, or shall I say that her code works more with other people, whereas his is, I'm just going to follow my gut and I'm just going to do the thing, you know, uh, repercussions be damned. And of course, you know, the potential apprehension of a murder suspect gets completely bungled. Um, for me, the line between Miro and Karn where she says, you know, you continue this and it won't be me you're speaking to next time. Well, clearly he's going to continue it. Who does he wind up in the clutches of next and what do they do with him? It's not going to be a Vader. It's not going to be something, somebody like that. You know, we established with, uh, other characters, you know, go back to star Wars rebels, agent callous of the ISB. Um, he turned to the rebellion. Could they look to bring him in somebody like him? Um, it clearly won't be her. She's engaged there on Ferrix now. She's with Bix. Uh, and we know that Karn's going to Karn. <laughs> um, I like that we have competing uh, competing options for baddies to join the Rebel Alliance. So, Pete, maybe we'll both uh, be wrong. Um, I know we had discussed Andor eyeing the boots, hearing about the transfer protocols. That is a all but likely way out let's view that through the scant stuff that we know about the remaining four episodes so episodes nine and ten are also uh directed by toby haynes that's not to say that there can't be um it's not to say that there needs to be some sort of continuity there but there's that the next two episodes nine and ten are also written by bo willimon so pete you want to make a prediction that Episode nine or episode 10 is the, the jailbreak, or do you think it goes into episodes 11 or 12? I think that, uh, 10 is the jailbreak 11 and 12 are their own arc, if you will. Um, so yeah, I, I think when Andor is sizing up these weaknesses, the late trooper, uh, you know, that, uh, we have the inmate there in uh, who was that? The, the the names are slightly 
difficult, Matt, if not tough to remember. Uh, who was that? Taga, I think, making the the uh, sign language. I think so, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Taga. That uh, th- there's there's the groundwork already laid there. There's a method of communication. There's the system established in this episode. Well, what are you going to do? You, you don't break the system the next time you see it. You continue to flesh it out. You test it. And then you break it in that final episode of this arc. And, and that'll be the one that does it. Last question. And this is an aspirational one here. Do you think that as they are uh, preparing for season two, or maybe it's underway at this point, is it possible that Disney plus is realizing that this show is too golden to end it after two seasons? I would have loved to be in the universe where you got your third or your fourth or your fifth season. I think it's such an acquired taste. I think they know you leave them wanting more. It leads right up to rogue one. It, it scratches an itch of, of more of it, but not too much, I think is a limited series, you know, on the level of a Obi-Wan Kenobi um, filling in these, these spaces that they've done really well. What other theories do you have? So the timing and the pacing, particularly with the, you know, transition scene to scene of this episode. So, we're told that Karn has been at the uh, Bureau of Standards for a little bit more than a month. Uh, Miro says in her briefing that the Star Guard, the Star Guard, the Steer Guard Star Path, you can understand why I'm confusing, <laughs> uh, was was stolen or was recovered last month. Okay. Um, and then you have what's happened on uh, Ferrix and that they did the Aldani job. And now that um, Cassian Andor has since gone back to Ferrix and then used the money that he earned on the heist uh, to go away, been uh, unwittingly arrested, gone to jail now. And it just, it's a little incongruous. It would have been better without explicit. Well, this happened, but it it seems like it's all too convenient in terms of a timeline. I, I suppose I hear you. And Pete, I have bad news for you, I guess. If you think time jumps are going to be an issue now, just wait until <laughs> next season where they're going to do yes. three episodes at four BBY and then jump a whole year, you know, a week later you tune in and it's a year later. And I'm imagining, as I think we've discussed, you know, things like, Hey, that pregnant character now has a, you know, a 10 month old baby and, you know, and so on and so forth. And a dragon and suddenly, you know, an eye patch and all these things. Um, Pete, it's all the rage to be doing the time jumps here. <laughs> so uh, maybe this was there. Maybe, maybe, you know, your Anthony Gilroy saw some of these incongruities and was like, knock all this off. You know, in the real world, 
timelines up perfectly day after day. Get it right in the future. We're going for verisimilitude. Just to the transition, you know, that the prison transport pulls into Narkina 5's, uh, you know, facility. Then we cut to the Imperial briefing. Then we cut to the ramp opening and the prisoners getting out. Something we know that would have happened immediately, not waiting for the exposition and the dramatic, you know, pause and tension of, well, we'll go to the other story right now of, you know, the bad guys learning about the guy they're looking for that they consider a bad guy who's really been caught. I do wonder in situations like that, I mean, obviously we're seeing an episode that has been scripted and then directed and then edited. So I, I do wonder how does a Bo Willimon, who obviously, you know, high, high uh, skill writer here, do you write those cuts into your script? I mean, I'm certainly, you one certainly can. Um, do you write those cuts in there? Um, does he have certain suggestions from you go from this scene to that scene because you get the handoff of PORD to PORD discussion? Maybe again, maybe that's part and parcel with the script. Maybe there's other times where, um, you know, just in the edit, you go, okay, I don't care. We were going to do five minutes in the prison and then five minutes of ISB, but we're going to go back and forth just to keep things moving. It's just a gut feeling. It's a pace feeling and so forth. Um, so Pete, I would say this: if if you are if you are a pro Tony Gilroy, asking for everything to be as realistic as possible, I would just say, please, sir, let them have some artistic gut here, or maybe it just maybe it just felt better to edit it the way they did, just for pacing, even though it's not in the land of the real. New arrivals on Narkina Five are told that they've been assessed as labor worthy. Matt, what happens to the ones? Where are they sent? Where were those other transports going and what was happening to them? Certainly it could be lesser, um, lesser, let's say, impact prisons. I mean, for as terrible as the Narkina 5 situation is and the, the punitive shocks, not just for being out of, out of uh, behavioral line, but kind of, you know, oh, you got last place, now you're going to get tortured. Um, I mean, one could just imagine a, terrible prison where people are just in their cells all day um and there's not the degree of reward there's not the degree of cleanliness and things of that sort i'm certainly not arguing for the tyrakina uh five model of uh the, the narkina pardon me um model of you know prison behavior here I, I found myself thinking pete you know normally it's the world of star trek where we see kind of real world discussions through the lens of science fiction star wars is very consciously like what if we mixed samurai and buck rogers and the bad guy is like the british empire but all empires and what if the ewoks represent you know how uh how the Viet Cong could overcome uh you know the western forces but also how any small group can overcome forces like it star wars is very consciously um universal in time and place and not a historical um copy paste job here but here we are on this episode and i'm thinking about the nature of justice and what does it say about a society that has um 
fair and humane prisons and things of that sort. Um, so I, the long and the short of it being Pete, I can imagine less humane prisons where the less able-bodied go. Cassian has been incarcerated before, which may or may not have come as the result of attacking the clone troopers when they strung his adoptive father, Clem, up, that he can compare that experience uh, to the one he's in now that they notice sanitary and calm, you know, because gleaming white floors that then electrocute you is so sanitary and calm. Um, but I think it's a space to explore, if not in flashback, then, you know, in exposition and dialogue uh, in the middle part of this arc. Um. I will say maybe, I'll even say probably, like if he's going to talk about, here he is so quiet um, in this episode. Um, certainly Diego Luna is very, very present, but not, you know, there's not a ton of dialogue. He doesn't give the rousing speech to escape prison, things of that sort. Um, I think that it could come to play. It also might be just built into his backstory and we might move away from it but but certainly i think as we are approaching him taking a greater role in the prison uh his experience with prison stuff uh certainly could could uh be important to the story so how about to um the thing they're assembling matt what is it um I have not gone to look, and I'm sure that the scale of it is wrong, but what had come to my mind is the things in the Death Star uh, fire chamber that, you know, when the, the guy in the helmet pushes the button and everybody kind of turns away and it kind of goes down a, uh, you know, a, a giant chamber that it was things to facilitate uh, the Death Star. Now that's probably because I have a baked in Star Wars instinct, as most Star Wars fans do, where everything is connected to everything else. And eventually, Pete, we're going to see that Luke Skywalker has something to do with this, right? Right? Um, and I know obviously that's not the Tony Gilroy way. Um, perhaps, Pete, the best we're going to get is it's just parts for the Empire, parts for the military. Um, if indeed it is a productive thing that they're making. I'm going to propose now what they're making is a sprocket is a widget is nothing. And I think it only, uh, emphasizes the cruelty of the empire, all this importance about the schedule and productivity and their evaluations and that these things go away from them. We've only seen the one room, Matt. We have no idea of, and while we have an idea of communication between inmates, what would you talk about? Would you talk about what you were working on or your escape plan? How do we know that in other rooms they're not taken apart um, or that they go someplace and aren't ever used? I really, really love that as a theory. I think that the sadism, uh, not of your theory, but the sadism that you're encapsulating there could really just have emotional resonance, particularly, you know, we are all anticipating 
and or not where he should be as he makes his way out of the prison. Uh, how about this, Pete? How about Andor sneaks out during sleepy time to see that night shift's job. They are they have these gears loaded in, and night shift needs to take them apart. How about it's the same room? So that could that could be a a crusher as well. Um, you know, everybody thinks they're going to be some part of the the imperial war machine, right? You know, even at first, I'm like, oh, are they making KX droid? chassis is that what i'm seeing and then you know it's kind of reminiscent of the imperial uh insignia as well i don't know if there's seven spokes on it uh i can't get a clear picture of of just one and be able to count all the way around um but i think that'd be a a crusher as well with the time established that they're using a one year, 365 day calendar that, uh, you know, Cassian has uh, 5.9972, you know, to infinity there years left after his first 12 hour shift that he joined in progress. And that, you know, 2,189 days becomes 30 shifts later 2159 um do prisoners so kino loy has only 249 days remaining at the beginning when he meets uh keef will people actually have prisoners been released or is this also a fallacy of this system they don't get released matt it looks to everybody else like they got released but um they go away i mean that could be a deliciously dark um kind of story conclusion to really hammer home the evil of the empire maybe it's uh maybe it's kino's um last day you know he's 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 being processed to be taken out of the prison maybe that's also andor's breakout day and there they are you know i'll, I'll imagine you know andor there he is up in the air ducts or whatnot and looking through the grate he sees the kino is brought to the uh the landing bay there and there's no ship and he says but wait there's no ship and they say yep and just push him off the edge you're free that kind of thing i mean it would i don't want that to happen to beloved actor um andy circus and all of that but I mean, it would be a heck of a way to remind us, particularly if Pete, one of us or both of us are right, that someone from the ISB section of the story is going to bend towards the path of goodness. It'd be a great reminder that, you know, no, this is mostly, mostly bad and all fascism is bad. And there goes a prisoner on their last day, you know, sent to the water and that's it. So Andy Circus played Supreme Leader Snoke in uh star wars the force awakens and the last jedi um the character does not appear to be human is gigantic uh we we learn in uh, uh the last jedi um is kino loy could kino loy become supreme leader snoke does he get railed matt hence his scars or is it just that in uh the rise of skywalker oh he was a clone of 
the emperor a puppet if you will i know certainly you know there it, it's revealed that there are snoke clones or there were Snoke cloning attempts and all that sort of thing um maybe og snoke a clone himself all, all all of that leading to the possibility that you know could there be a connection between kino and snoke yes and i can't i can't i can't say that there's not the possibility of a connection i do think that that's not the flavor of this show um now that might not be the flavor of this show but if you tell me four years from now they're doing you know the <laughs> the snoke story which is a terrible idea but, you know, do, doing something to sit and go oh man there's a rumor that they're gonna you know that that uh the deleted scene of uh, a doctor taking a, uh an ampule out of the the dead body of kino now that's going to turn into something that's possible too uh but i don't think in the body of andor we're going to see that in the body of andor the show obviously you don't have a co-ed prison um so the lack of female prisoners here where do they go but also no aliens I know, again, I encourage everybody to check out that Hollywood Reporter interview um, because Toby Haynes also says, you know, like, I was so excited. You know, uh, there I am. I, it's the first time I'm directing the droid. Uh, but Tony reminded us, no droids in the foreground, no aliens in the foreground. They go to the background. They're not an important part of this show. So I would say with, I mean, Again, I know each week we kind of have our little fun with Tony Gilroy, but there was definitely some some zip in that quote in terms of um, the pushing all the silly stuff, pushing all the George Lucas went to get Halloween masks and have a scene where you go alien here, alien there, devil guy there, weird bendy guy there, and so forth. That's not the that we don't want that kind of moment in this show. Um, and don't get me wrong, I think everybody agrees. You know, the Cantina reveal is great the first time, and it's great the thousandth time. But it's it's this fun jump of craziness, and that's not the flavor of this show. So I think that if you just want to say within within this show as a production, that's why they didn't say, and let's get six people to be weirdo aliens, because the show doesn't want you saying, you see the guy over there? Is he a such and such? Is that related to the, 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 the Clancy Brown character from Mandalorian? Maybe it's his dad. Maybe it's his son. Maybe, the, we want to just see a bunch of dudes. They're all kind of similar. Bunch of dudes in the shower, all kind of similar. Bunch of dudes making gears, all similar. That we're supposed to be feeling the monotony of it, not the you know tales from t- tales from the prison book that's going to come out one day where we can go and the secret history of the blue guy. Um, so I think within within the production, that's why. If you want to say within the story, you know, are humans getting it worse, or is there segregation by literal race? I think both of those are potentially really interesting um, for kind of, you know, commentary purposes. Is Melshi already a rebel? Um, I'm going to say no, but he's going to be inspired by the jailbreak. And he's, I'm going to say he, he, he has a slowly bigger and bigger part in the remaining four episodes. Okay. Um, what is the difference, Matt, that the prisoners who do well, 
uh, earned between taste and flavor. I do think that the way it was worded, it made it sound like it was two different things. I think that the writing meant to be, uh, I think the writing was, um, if you're good, you get flavor. If you're bad, you get punished. If you're good, you get taste. If you're bad, you get fried. Like, I think it was more of that one and two and one and two. I think that maybe it was not either written or delivered or both in a way that really kind of made the, you know, this and that, this and that nature of it. Because I think, and certainly if we have any chefs listening, they can let us know. I think flavor and taste are the same. Um. What do you think about Mon Mothma being better at pretending than other people? Uh, I would certainly agree with that. We've seen it. I mean, here she is. I don't I I would I could not guess the number of seats in the Imperial Senate. You may know it just off the top of your head. I mean, that that big room with the floaty discs. I mean, you could if you want to say it's a thousand, so be it, but how, whatever that number is, there's only so many senators. She's one of them. She's pretty high up. Uh, Pete, we don't have evidence of a bicameral legislature and so forth. So if it's a thousand senators are the representative government um, dealing to some degree hand in hand with the with the emperor, you know that means she's top. Again, if you want to say there's a thousand discs in there, thousand worlds represented, you know she's top thousand and one in terms of uh, governmental figures. For her to then also be volleying this, you know, this nascent rebel alliance uh, shows how she can go back and forth. The, what shall I term this, the intricacies of the imperial money machine that they're watching the banks now and how funds are being moved around and there's auditors and all that, you know, after a big theft clearly you're going to look for signs of that being laundered or going anywhere. It happened at a bad time for Mon Mothma, but we've other than, Hey, you did a thing and we'll give you credits. We've never really gotten a glimpse of what capital looks like in star Wars. True. I mean, I, perhaps that's because so much of Star Wars has skewed towards either, uh, you know, the military where I'm sure they're getting paid, but it's like, you know, as with many militaries, room and board and food taken care of and all that. Uh, or we've seen the Rebel Alliance where resources are scarce, or we've seen people at the relative edges of society, i.e. moisture farmers on outer rim worlds and that sort. Um, but those three kind of notwithstanding, can't we imagine that the average... Uh, citizen of the empire is uh, you know they're getting their paycheck from the job they do and they're going and spending it on things that they want to spend it on and sometimes they have to pay for rent or mortgage or heat or cold or whatever it might be but I guess I assumed the money system was similar to ours it's just sometimes instead of going out to get a to get a hearty six-pack you go and say I'm gonna get me some extra those those worms to put in my chandron champagne what is Marva's future? Will she indeed aid the rebellion? I know, I, I don't mean to return to that interview again. I did not think it was going to be so evergreen. Both the interviewer and the director are like, I don't really know what's up with this lady. I guess it's just a story thing that she doesn't turn the heat on because they say she could. Like, have you never met a 
tempestuous person, particularly somebody who's later in life? Have you never met, um, heck, have you ever, never met a very wealthy person who's super cheap about stuff because they remember the days when money used to be super tight? I mean, Pete, there's a Star Trek captain who has never forgotten the fact that he was homeless in the early 1970s. And, uh, you know, when people say, oh, my goodness, it's wonderful to meet you. What does he say sometimes, Pete? Need the work. <laughs> uh, need the work. Or he'll say, nice to meet you, honey, photographer. Keep them moving here. Well, that's not no, not too much chit chat. So, like, I was a little incredulous, like, the notion that, like, oh, man, Marva, what's her deal? Just, like, turn on the heat, lady. Like, it, this um, spare existence is built into her personality, as is the fact that she's lived under increasing impre uh, oppression, rather, for the entire history of the empire there's even kind of the hint you know when she when she first rescues when she and clem first rescue young casa um you know it is the republic which are kind of the republic is on their way in there's a republic uh ship coming and so forth so she's this really independent person pete i imagine if she lived in the united states she's like a like a like a washington state oregon state maine kind of that sort of person not like a you know, here I am in, you know, in, in Brooklyn. I heard there's a really great quinoa place. I know, Pete, this is always when you say quinoa is wonderful, and it is wonderful. I'm just saying that's the that's the cultural. Let me this way. Marva's not there eating quinoa. She's like, I have my cabbage and my red meat, and I have it every day. And uh, here I am at 62 with a cough in the cold. Life is just fine. Um, but But she wants to fight. I know I've predicted in the past. Her death will be what spurs Andor from, you know, guy in the gray to guy fighting for the uh, rebellion. I'll ask you a question, Pete. Have they tipped their hand or have they foreshadowed? Are we going to see the Rebel Alliance go through the secret tunnels to take back the hotel? Or is that just is that just an old woman's dream? No, I think they've they've foreshadowed. That. I, I think it'll be a little different, but that they've returned several times to the idea that there are tunnels beneath this hotel that are seeding further story points. Well, we have four episodes to make that happen before we start doing time jumps. So bring it on. Will the prison break happen with any outside help? It's difficult to imagine currently, particularly, well, it's difficult to imagine currently the fact that no one knows Andor is there, one would think no. However, we have Andor hunters out to get more info about Andor. And though we don't see this, we don't see a moment where that's going to be connected. You know, he didn't send one last space email or put a package in the mail to say, Ma, I'm on a uh, party planet and, you know, I'm hanging out. And that, you know, we, we don't know what the thread is that might, connect uh vel and cinta to him vel and cinta are on the run here or pardon me are on the hunt rather i could see there being some sort of business in the next two episodes let's say in the next episode where they figure that out and they are then part of the equation to get him out in what i think we're all assuming will be episode 10 so will we see anto krieger and if so matt who is your pick to play this ox of a separatist that Forrest Whitaker has a problem with. Um, 
first and foremost, I think, um, I think that the notion that we have the space to see him, but we're also still invested in the, uh, in the, um, the Andor portion of the story. And I know we had touched on this before, but I just want to repeat, we have all this stuff going on and I'm eager for all the, all the areas of the story to be serviced. Now who could play this ox Pete? It's the, the name I thought of um, the first time he was mentioned. And as you've highlighted his ox like status, Pete, I am thinking of the, the man with a bachelor's from the Royal Institute of Technology in uh, Sweden the man who has uh, further degrees, masters from the University of Sydney, this chemical engineering whiz who has also made a couple of movies. How about Dolph Lundgren? Ooh, I like that. Uh, I'm going to throw out somebody who's appeared in Star Wars before, uh, who's played a Gungan, Brian Blessed. Uh, that's a that's a great choice, too. He's a fantastic choice. Um <laughs> His presence is always barely contained um, on screen. He also, you know, as a as a as a Brit, he's maybe theoretically easier to get than Dolph Lundgren. Um, I would say Pete Brian Blessed at eighty six, currently at eighty six years of age. Um, I I would be want to I I really want to be careful in the full on COVID era um, that this was shot in. I would be a little nervous about getting someone to Brian Blessed's age there but i also think brian blessed may be one of the few people on the planet that if covid came a knock and he would say no and they would just the covid <laughs> would just go running the other way gordon's alive um saw talks about putting his people at risk matt in the subtext of this and maybe just off screen is one of his people jen urso um, let's see, because he knew her as a young girl, but she is still in, she still is, where is Jyn Erso at, at, at the timeline right now? now? I know not scooped up for the Rogue One story as an adult, but kind of in her wayward getting into jail teen phase, is that right? We don't know yet if he's abandoned her, he, he put a a knife and a loaded blaster in her hands and, you know, told her to get lost. Um, you know, his explanation to her, that people were beginning to figure out, you know, who her father was and, and look to potentially turn her into some type of ransom. Um, or, you know, just turn her over to the empire. Who knows? But uh, conceivably, she's around him at this point. So are you full on proposing that Jin Erso shows up in the next four episodes or in next season? You know, we've we've talked on how Gilroy, you know, doesn't want to do Star Wars things. But would he want to do a Star Wars thing that he's done before, you know? Saw Guerrera, um, you know, coming from the Clone Wars before he was ever done in, in Rogue One uh, to reprise him here. And yes, you didn't have him played by um, Forrest Whitaker previously. They aged him up for that so that he could do it. Um, you know, do they try to 
bring Jin in here, you know, the character we had in, in the thing that we first had her appear in. I don't know. I, I don't know their flavor of the writer's room to use one of Matt's expressions to reach for something like that. Maybe just even the reference, you know, I just let a 16 year old girl go because this has become too dangerous. Yeah. I, I, you know, we, we oftentimes are returning to this, you know, the Tony Gilroy instinct and then week in, week out, week in and week out, we see exceptions to it in part because he's not the end all. He's not the boss of star Wars here. Uh, could just be one of those things like, Hey, we gave you a brothel and dead cops and, uh, a prison that tortures people, uh, make this character generous. Oh, dude, like that's, this is me, your boss saying it. Um, I'm just back and forth with this tension. I love how, I love how contained this show is. Um, do I want it to become the Hawkeye of star Wars shows where everything is more about setting up the next thing or connecting to the last thing than it is the current thing. That is my fear, especially for this precious, precious gem of a show. Our rebel spies have sent us some secret transmissions to the Twitter. We go, uh, where people were asked who best brings the chance, uh, to give us hope for the end of the season. Uh, with 53.6% and or boot emoji. Uh, with 14.3% Bix chair emoji. Pete, only 3.6% of people going for Dedra. That's with your fist emoji. Uh, and then in brackets, secret guest star, uh, which Pete could have meant Kino, could have meant a future secret guest star that has yet to be revealed. Uh, although I did use a ring emoji there for uh, Kino and Andy Circus, that got twenty eight point six percent. So I know this is by and large just like a four fun poll. It's not a four three two one poll. It is interesting that almost thirty percent of people proposing that we don't know who's going to give us, like who's going to give us the jolt of hope and optimism. We maybe have not met that character yet, which is an interesting call. Uh, uh, Saw Guerrero. Uh, Pete, there's only four choices here. Pete. I've heard recently how Twitter maybe has but some shortcomings. Was he not the secret guest star? Um, he had not. He wasn't what I meant to be the secret guest star. He, I guess, we kind of knew he was going to be in it. it. If people were surprised that Saul Guerrero was in this episode and then voted secret guest star, that's fine too. Saul Guerrero may be the way out. Um, time will tell. Some replies here. Uh, JT Adkins, JTA is me, says, I love the part where Andy Circus says, Welcome to the Gulag Rorapente. Work well and you'll be treated well. Work badly and you will die, my precious. Hashtag it's all connected. But seriously, <laughs> uh, JT says, Circus was great. It was all great and awful. Interesting that there are only humans in the prison. Also, I fear for old guy at Cassian's work table. Will our hero escape and free everyone? I'd like that, but I'm not betting on it. Time to reprogram a K2 to make an escape. Or maybe B can sneak him out. Um, <laughs> Pete, I know we've been told we don't get K2 uh, until next season. Okay, asterisk. Could we see him reprogramming a KX unit and that becomes K2? Like, could that be part of the prison escape uh, recipe here? It could, absolutely. 
We are from Rose Ferry at Anna Rose 584. Maybe I'm too far removed from Star Wars these days, but knowing how this ends doesn't mean uh, uh, doesn't mean I know what will happen in each episode. For that, I am grateful and keep watching and listening to the podcast and the fans. Uh, at Steve Thurberge says, more great dialogue slash story. Last week, I thought Marva told Luthen about Andor. She suggested using Clem as a, a random fake name to remind him what happened, not a conscience. Uh, prison break will have uh, the old dude throwing himself to the electric floor for hope. Saul will come around. James the Sagacious, big killing on Twitter, says the emperor is sent sentencing citizens to group projects and people don't know he's a Sith master. <laughs> oh, let's just let's just luxuriate that uh, in that for a moment, Pete, that being sentenced to a group project, that is proof that that the emperor is the most evil person in the galaxy. I really love that as a thought. And that you'd make a clone of the guy bossing everybody around. What if, Matt, in every room there's a Kino Loy? Oh, that would be that would be really great too. That and then Pete, then you get your then you get to have your cake and eat it too, because you just go, it's a clone because it's all a big mind screw. Then deeper you can go, and if there's clones of Kino Loy you know, this show doesn't need to say, and there's a clone project to make him eight feet tall and to make him, you know, God of the galaxy in the stead of the emperor. Like it can all just be either somebody else tells the story down the line or implied or whatever. Anyhow, James says fantastic pacing and tension building. Noel Gardner at Noel Camille. The empire is upping minor offenses to major jail time so they can slave labor, crowdsource the building of the Death Star. That's the most empire thing. This episode gave me strong Logan's run and THX 1138 vibes. Have a feeling Karn and Miro will become evil empire partners. By the way, Pete, speaking of THX 1138, uh, since we talked about it last week, I went to find it on the HBO Max, and now it's gone. Uh, so maybe it'll show up on a you know a free streamer and not a pay-to-rent thing in the near future. I don't know. Anyhow, we go to Twick or Tweeter, K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. It's probably inappropriate to compliment a prison, but that operation was something. But what was with the sevens? I love Mon Mothma and all her various machinations. Much as I like the episode, I feel like not much happened, which is fine. Just hoping it's setting up more. Uh, Jackie Wolf had replied to that. The prison was indeed very interesting, but did you notice that all the prisoners appeared to be human? Not sure what to make of that. Perhaps nothing. But if you see a panorama of any other setting in Star Wars, there always seems to be some variety. Uh, we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. The show continues to be fun and bleak and hopeless and hopeful and tense and surprising and dark and beautiful and wonderful in its own brand of unique familiarity. Don't you just love it when circus... <laughs> Don't you just love it when the circus comes to town? <laughs> the whole thing, very well said, particularly that last bit. Penultimately, Pete, Bob Keeley, at R. Keeley on Twitter, says, I uh, promise... Uh, the promise of the previous two episodes has been fulfilled for me in this wonderful episode. All the pieces get moved forward and the tension mounts. Really fun. Uh, and Katie Bowser Hudson, that's at Katie Bowser, says, are they building what they think, uh, what I think they are building? Pete, I guess I'm more team yes, Death Star. You're more team no, we're going to get punched in the gut and it's just nothing. I mean, yeah, it could be Death Star parts. I, I cannot rule that out. But I, I just think that everything seems 
rigged that it's not that it's a mirage um that they're just messing with them that or it's just some other piece of tech that we never see again this is going to be one of those um this is gonna be one of those things where like uh, i'm not saying you know tony gilroy and company listen to our podcast but you hear these stories at various points where like oh man the theory that people had for whatever season four of lost or the theory that people had for the second season of game of thrones you know whatever it is where sometimes the creatives go uh that was actually better than what we did which was <laughs> the guy who says i want to get back to my daughter it, we, we he does goes on an eight episode journey and he gets home to his daughter it's not actually a secret that he's stolen the elf kings like this could be one of those things where if they go okay send the parts up to the death star we're all gonna go oh but it would have been so heartbreaking if there was this mind screw mental torture thing and finally on your last day they go hey thanks for helping make parts let me show you night shift where they take it all apart anyhow pete let's go to the email inbox a reminder the email works just fine uh even whoever owns twitter uh steve adams says as follows if there's only one word to describe this show and the world it depicts, it would be bleak. Not a single character on this show seems to have any real hope at all. The Imperials are starting to realize that the very uh, that a very real threat could be forming. Andor is completely isolated from everyone he loves, even before going to the labor camp. Bix doesn't seem to know what to do with herself anymore. And Karn is stuck in an endless sea of space cubicles where he refuses to accept any responsibility at all for getting multiple fellow officers killed in episode three because of his blind ambition. Luthen is afraid to stick his neck out first. Mon Mothma is trying to see how close to the fire she can get without being burned. I reiterate my theory from a couple of weeks ago. It will uh, take the likely violent deaths of her husband and daughter to galvanize her commitment to the rebellion. The only upbeat part of this episode seemed to be the, seemed to be the appearance of Saw Guerrera. Maybe it was just Forrest Whitaker, but I have to believe he'll be back this season, and so will I next week for episode nine. Until then, stay fantastic. I love the part about Mon Mothma getting closer to the fire without getting burned, and you know, we know that she's got to pay a price at some point, and you know, though her family's falling apart the loss of those characters, the loss of, you know, a mostly innocent and her daughter, I think would, would galvanize her. I love that there's now in this discussion with Steve here, like there's the competing theories of, I think the daughter, I think it's compelling to have the daughter rotten to the core and the daughter more loyal to the state than her family and all of that. And I'm okay. If like dad's like, you know, just so kind of like space lazy that he's a baddie too. Um, and Steve is recasting it as no, they're they're good family members, or maybe it's not a perfect family, but um, there's goodness there, and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna be sacrificed for the greater good and all of that. I mean, the fact that that's two opposite ends and both are compelling uh, really shows the power of this show. Well, Matt. We have our own secret facility that people can go to. There might be seven levels. You could propose more. Uh, How many tables you'll get to work at, that's up to you. But I'm talking about, of course, patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Yes, we are so proud to be listener supported week in, week out, month in, month out. 
And uh, even before we were talking Andor today, we were talking about uh, future goodies to have there on uh, patreon.com slash fantastic geek. So as always, our thanks for that support. And Pete, with a month's worth of Andor episodes still to go here, how can people be in touch with you on Twitter to keep the conversation going? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,727. Matt, I've fallen off because some people have fallen off. Followers can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. On the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we are back tomorrow to another galaxy to talk Star Trek Lower Decks. And then, of course, back next weekend to keep the Andor adventure going. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all listeners and give you the final word. Off program! <laughs>